As uh, Pastor Jordan said at the beginning, it was a great, amazing, tiring week of camp. As the pastor, I'm so glad to be a part of it and just watch God work in and, mit- in and through our, our teenagers in so many different ways. And it was just a, a humbling thing. Uh, the other side of it, it was a very tiring thing. Um, I'm still have not recovered, and Lord knows when that's going to happen, but uh, it was a great time. Um, but to help me out this week, I asked uh, Pastor Mike um, to prepare and to be ready to continue on in our series in the Gospel of John, and that is what he has done. So we are going to continue on. So I'm going to ask Pastor Mike to go ahead and come on up. Let's make him feel welcome as we always do. Well, good morning, everybody. I got to say that uh, it was a, it was kind of a struggle getting this message prepared. I've, uh, I'm an IT guy, but my computer was crashing, and it would randomly just shut down and restart, and I almost lost my mind and had two near-death experiences thinking I lost everything. But thankfully, the auto-save function was enabled in my Microsoft Office, so I only lost a few paragraphs, and I could redo that easy. So um, with that being said, um, Micah asked me to speak this week on John chapter 5, verses 30 through 47. And before we start, though, I want to show a video because this, this part of this section of Scripture Jesus is talking about, um, you can see in your Bibles, it's, it's entitled The Witnesses of Jesus. So he's talking about the witnesses. So I want to show this video real quick, which talks about the, vi- the witnesses that I found online. Um, and I thought it was really good. So please watch this video. When you hear the word witness, you might think of someone who sees something shocking or important and then shares their testimony with others. The word witness is used like this in the Bible too, but here's what's really fascinating. This word actually helps us understand the entire storyline of scripture. In the Bible, a witness is basically someone who sees something important or amazing. In Hebrew, this person is an aide, and in Greek, a martus. And if this person begins to share what they've seen, we call this bearing witness, in Hebrew, ud, and in Greek, martyreo. So in the story of Ruth, when Boaz buys land from Naomi's family, he calls together witnesses to see the transaction, so that if there's a later dispute about the land, they can bear witness about what they saw. So that's the basic meaning of the word witness. Now, if we follow this idea throughout the Bible, we learn that God wants a group of witnesses, people who see and experience him to ood or represent him to the world. So beginning with the story of the Exodus, the people of Israel witness Yahweh as the powerful king of the nations when he rescues them from slavery. Then he appoints this one nation to bear witness or ood to the rest of the nations about what they experienced. He calls them a kingdom of priests, or people who connect all other nations to Yahweh, the true God and King. But there's a big problem. The Israelites aren't good witnesses. In fact, they start worshiping other gods. So God raises up a chief witness, Moses, to ood or bear witness to the people who are supposed to be the real witnesses. When Moses meets with Yahweh on Mount Sinai, he sees and experiences God face to face. When he comes down, he oods, he bears witness to the people about his experience. He even writes a song as a witness so that they would never forget how God has cared for and rescued them. But as the story goes on, Israel does forget. They fail to truly see God, so they fail as his witnesses. So God raises up prophets who are like Moses to ood, to open their eyes to who their God really is. Like Isaiah, 
He has a vision of God as the cosmic king, and he's sent to Ut to bear witness to the Israel of his day because they're blind, they're corrupt, and they don't recognize God as their king. So Isaiah says that one day, God will raise up the ultimate chief witness, a figure called the servant. He will open the eyes of the blind so that they can truly see Yahweh and bear witness to the nations that their God is the king who will rescue the world. And now, when we turn to the story of Jesus, we find him claiming to be that servant and witness spoken of by Isaiah. He's the ultimate witness, or in Greek, the martus. Crowds of people witness him saying that he's bringing God's kingdom, that it's here, right now, through him. They see Jesus healing people, even restoring sight to the blind. Many recognize who he is and respond to his message, but many others still refuse to truly see. Even the nation's leaders won't listen to him. Rather, they kill Jesus for bearing witness to God's kingdom, that is, for being a martus. In fact, this is where the word martyr comes from. But then, after Jesus' death, something amazing happens. Jesus' friends see him alive from the dead, and they recognize that he is the divine king, Yahweh himself, who has come to rescue the world. After that, Jesus sends them out to martyreo, that is, to bear witness to the nations, to open their eyes to this risen king who has conquered death and who offers freedom and rescue and the hope of a new creation. And it's this story about Jesus that's been spread all around the world by faithful witnesses. And to this day, when someone hears the story of Jesus and experiences the love of God for all humanity, the most natural thing to do is to simply bear witness. Amen. So, we can see how important the word witness is. And um, last week, Micah spoke about, um, if you meant, he mentioned this lion entering in the room, if you remember that. Um, and in that he said, you know, if somebody stood up and said, the lion is good, don't worry. Who, no, who's going to believe that? Right? Nobody's going to believe that. Why? So I want to piggyback on that for a minute to, to talk about this um, and, and apply it to witnessing. Um, but why wouldn't we believe that person? For one, because it's a lion. Right? I mean, it's just that simple that it's a lion. There's a little bit of echo in my voice here, Caleb. Just FYI. <laughs> um, so just because of the fact that it's a lion, number one, we're probably not going to believe a person who just randomly st stands up and says, oh, don't worry about the lion. He's fine. Right? Because it's a lion. Well, also, because it's a lion, because of that fact, the credibility of that person's testimony or witness is in question because there's no evidence that this lion is good, right? Just because some random person stands up and says the lion is good does not make the lion good, right? So all we know from our perspective is lion bad, man crazy. We're out of here, right? <laughs> Amen. Amen to that. Thank you. Yes. All right, now stay with me here, and let's look at the other side of this. Let's say that you're not in church, but you're maybe at a circus or a fair, and somebody walks in with a lion on a leash, and they say, don't worry, the lion is good. Will you believe them then? <laughs> okay, okay, let's be realistic. Okay, some of us will probably believe that to some extent, and what I mean by that is, 
yes, okay, the lion may be good, but keep him 100 feet away from me and on that strong leash at all times, okay? <laughs> he may be good, okay? I can partially trust that, but, but not 100%, right? But then there's some who, like Brother Nathan here, who will not, they will not be willing to believe that no matter what. No matter what evidence is presented there before them, no matter how, if they're on a, a chain, iron chain, being carried with a big metal steel collar on, and there's no way they can escape the grip, there's still some people who will say, nope, mm-mm, right? <laughs> well, what we believe is based on what we have heard, which means what we listen to, who we listen to, or what we have experienced or seen or perceive or understand. And it, it, because what we see or experience doesn't necessarily have to be a physical vision of seeing something, but it can be something we can perceive or understand. And we're going to see that as we look at this word witness here in the Bible, in, in the, the Greek and the Hebrew, there's two different uh, meanings here that, um, that are absolutely awesome. So, but most of our beliefs are based on what we hear without any verification of that on our part at all. And here's an example. When we go to the store, we buy groceries, and we put that can of beans in our cart. When you look at the back of the ingredients um, on that, that can of beans, we believe that all of those names that we can't pronounce are good, right? <laughs> we trust that. Without any, I've never been to Publix and seen anybody with a little mini lab kit testing the, the chemicals and ingredients in their, in their food to make sure that it's good. They're, nobody's verifying that. We're taking the word of what the manufacturer says without any verification at all, right? So we believe that the manufacturer has taken that responsibility for us and we can trust them to provide us food that is good for us to consume. Now. This is the same type of belief, and just follow with me here. This is the same type of belief that a young person has when they begin to believe things about God that their parents or someone else has said to them. There's no verification process from the young person's part on their own. They believe it because their mom and dad have said something, um, but here again, they haven't actually experienced a saving presence of the power of God in their lives for themselves. They haven't heard God speak to them directly. They've only heard what the parent or person has said to them. There hasn't been an experience. That's the important part. Until the young person is willing to approach God on their own and on God's terms, their belief is only a trust in what someone else said just like a trust in that the beans on the shelf at Publix are good without any verification. Part of being a witness is ex the experience. If you remember in the video, it talked about the experience. Part of, part of that witness within ourselves that God is real and God is who he says he is is because of a personal experience individually on our own apart from anybody else and what they have told us but experiencing and knowing God for ourselves. So last week we saw in the word how Jesus made this bold claim of his identity of being God in the flesh as Messiah. And Jesus here in this portion of text, he's still speaking to the Jews 
and he's made the claim plainly to them, and now he's going to back it up by calling his witnesses to the stand. And also keep in mind here that Jesus is not saying these things from a motive of putting them in their place, although that did happen, but that was not his motive. He's not doing this from an attitude of just trying to win an argument with them. But what he's trying to do is he's, he's saying here, he's doing this from a heart of compassion, and we're going to see this in the scriptures. He's saying this from a place where he says, I'm saying this to you that you will be saved. He's bringing all of this evidence. He's, he's bringing these witnesses to the stand so that they can check what they think, what they believe that they know against what the scripture says. And what the, the witnesses say. And he's not doing that, like I said, to prove them wrong, make them feel bad about themselves. Although they might feel bad about themselves because they've been teaching wrong things. But the point is to get them to say, wow, yeah, I've been doing it wrong all this time. Forgive me, Lord. And be saved. That, that's the heart of God. It's never to absolutely destroy us, but bring us to a place where we will humble ourselves to him and say, yes, okay, forgive me, I see my, my error. And that's where he wanted these Jews, these Pharisees to go. However, they were unwilling. And we'll see that also in the word. And he's calling them out on their unwillingness to believe the truth and be saved. Um, and presenting them these witnesses. And it's important, it's important that Jesus is doing this. He's doing this according to the Mosaic law. In the Mosaic Law in Deuteronomy, um, he uses this code because it says in Deuteronomy 17 and also in 19 that out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let everything be established. So he is playing by their own rules, really, and showing them, listen, this is not just me. Here's my witnesses. This is why. And so, and the reason this is, this is important because just anybody can say, oh, I'm God, Right? Anybody can walk in a room with a lion and say, oh, don't worry, the lion's fine. We're going to think they're crazy. Just like anybody who says they're God, is, we're going to say, you're crazy. You're not God. There's no evidence you're God. But here Jesus presents the evidence, the witnesses, that he is God. And that's what we're going to look at today. So if you could, um, if you'd like to, please stand as we read God's word. We're going to read John 5, 30 through 47. Starting in verse 30, Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. Because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that, he, that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was burning in a shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given to me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness to me, about me, excuse me, that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, 
and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you will not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. God, what, what would we know, Lord, about you if it weren't for your word? Thank you, God, for providing your word to us. Thank you, Jesus, for coming and being the word in the flesh, Lord. Thank you, Lord God, for speaking truth, being the truth, the way and the life, Lord, for us. Lord, today as we look at this text, Lord God, help us, Lord God, to be willing to come to truth, Lord God, to come to terms with things that maybe, Lord, in our hearts and in our lives and in our minds, Lord, may not be right with you. Lord, let us be willing to let go of those things, Lord. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. We ask you to speak to our hearts today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So we're going to look at uh, four, four things today. Three witnesses or four witnesses of um, Jesus that are spoken of here, and then I'm going to go. I'm going to go deep on them, um, on some of them, not all of them, because it was 3 a.m. when I was trying to finish this last night. So, um, going to go sort of deep, <laughs> but um, and also just so you know, to set you at ease, since it is a combined service, that means we have double time, so there's no rush. All right. That, thank Micah for that later. <laughs> uh, so the first witness here that we're going to look at is um, the witness of John the Baptist, which I call the witness of cleansing. So, and in, in, in Jesus says in John uh, 5, verses 32 and 33, pretty, and I'm paraphrasing here, he says, I call John the Baptist to the stand. He's calling his witness John the Baptist. He says, and he says, he bore witness of me. And you all went out to see him. And in Matthew 3, 7, John called all these Pharisees a brood of vipers. He said, who, who told you guys to come and repent and be saved? Now, John was, this was John's message. His message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The question here is, why was John baptizing? What was the purpose? What was the witness of John baptizing before Jesus? And, and we see in Malachi 3, verse 1, as I've got on the, on the board here, that the prophecy of the Father here was that he said, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. Now, all of this was orchestrated by Father God which we're going to see in a little bit here. Let me not get ahead of myself. But John the Baptist had a legal right, according to the Mosaic law, to sprinkle waters of purification because he was a Levite by bloodline at birth. And Christ called John 
the Baptist a reed shaking in the wind. And that's significant because here in Matthew 11, uh, verses 7 through 9, Jesus began to speak, and I'm, and I'm going to read the scripture to you here. It says, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaking by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, more than a prophet. So a reed or a hyssop, in, in this case, that's what a, the reed represented, was an instrument used by a Jewish minister to sprinkle the waters or the blood of pur purification um, during a ceremonial cleansing. And that was under the law of Moses. And you can read about that in Hebrews 9. I'm not going to go into detail about that. But John was, he was considered a prophet by the, by the Jews, by the people. He was the son of Zacharias, who was a Levite. John's bloodline was of Levitical descent, which means a priestly bloodline and descent. And according to the Torah, the firstborn sons of Levites were set aside by God to minister to the congregation of Israel. Levites were, were then chosen by God to do a divine service for the children of Israel. This is important because here John the Baptist, he has a divine commission given by God to do something. What was his commission? His commission um, was, it, well, let me, I'm getting ahead of myself again, sorry. What he was doing was basically overriding the traditional the tradition of the cleansing and all the the works and things that the the elders and the pharisees had people do he was trumping that and saying no let's be done with that he was saying let's get rid of that because all of those things that they had people doing was in what's called the talmud there was the torah which was the word of god and then there was the talmud which were the traditions of man and they were emphasizing these traditions of man and having this laying this burden upon the people to keep all of these things, these traditions, rather than focusing on the word of God. So here, John's mission is to prepare the way for the Messiah, and that means get rid of all this junk that the Pharisees have put before people as a stumbling block. So that's what the cleansing, that's what the witness of the cleansing was, to cleanse them from all this religious tradition that was keeping them from actually experiencing God in the first place. So that was the mission of John here. And <clears throat> all of these, these, the Talmud, you can do some research on this yourself, but um, the Talmud, these writings originated while Israel was in captivity during the Medo-Persian and Babylonian captivity. <clears throat> and as I said before, they made the commandments of God of no effect because they burdened the people to follow man rather than following God. It caused people to look at the Pharisees rather than to look at God. And that's a stumbling block. That's why Jesus said, woe to you. It's better that for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and cast into the sea than make one of these little ones stumble. So God commissioned John to call his people out and be cleansed of this nonsense. To have clean hearts ready for the Messiah, which was Jesus. Now back to the text. In verse 34 of John 5, Jesus here is saying, 
that his testimony isn't from man. He's talking about John the Baptist here. He says, not, not that this testimony is of, of man. John the Baptist wasn't even of man. It was all ordained by God the Father to begin with. You can do research and you can look in Zechariah and you can see how John the Baptist came about and you can see in Malachi and you can see the, the, the prophecies just about John the Baptist, the one who's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. And you can see that it was all orchestrated from the Father to begin with. So this was not a testimony of just man, some weird guy out in the wilderness with camel's hair and eating locusts, some crazy guy saying, oh, yeah, here's the Messiah. No, this, this was all orchestrated by the Father, very meticulously and carefully. So the work of John was commissioned by the Father for the purpose of cleansing. It was not man's idea. It was God. In verse 35, Jesus reminds these Jews who were more concerned about a healed man carrying his bed than him being healed. Remember at the beginning of, of chapter 5 here, this is what started this whole conversation here that Jesus is having with these Jews, with these Pharisees, the first thing they said to this man who was healed, not, oh, wow, you're healed. No, it was, who told you to carry that bed? Think about that mindset for a minute. Here's a man who was for 38 years unable to walk, and the first thing they're concerned about is who told you to carry your bed? <laughs> Think about that. Why? Because, see, their mindset was so set on that tall mud and breaking those traditional laws that they couldn't even see the power of God and couldn't even experience it right there in front of their faces because they were so blinded by these traditions. So Jesus reminds them, he reminds these people who are so concerned about somebody carrying their bed that they were willing for a season to rejoice even in John the Baptist. They went down to see him. Now John did call him out and he said, you brood of vipers. To their defense, they didn't get baptized because he called them a brood of vipers. <laughs> but he also called John a shining light. If you look there in uh, verse 34, um, or verse 35, he says, He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Now, the wonderful thing about light, light exposes dirt, right? It does. Light doesn't create the dirt. The dirt was already there. We just didn't see it until the light shined on it. Like we have dust bunnies behind our dressers. We don't know they're there until we move the dresser and the light shines on them and we're like, oh, there's dust bunnies, right? Dust bunnies just didn't magically appear when the light shined on them. No, they were there. We just didn't see them, right? Well, that's what John the Baptist is doing here. He's shining the light of God on the hearts of these Jews and the, 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 the people of Israel, showing them that all these things of the Talmud that the Pharisees are putting on them is dirt. And they didn't see it because they were so wrapped up in it. But a lot of people were coming out to get baptized and be cleansed and repent to be ready for the Messiah. Pharisees didn't like that, but Jesus is calling them out here. But hey, wait, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. You even went down to see John the Baptist at one time, right? You wanted to find out what was going on. And you were glad you, you were acknowledging him as a prophet. Were you not? And he's a witness to me, is what Jesus is saying. The second witness here that we're going to look at is the witness of works. 
And, and before we move on to that, I just want to say something here real quick. God will put people in our lives who will shine light on things in us sometimes. Sometimes the things that we like to do are things that we like to do and not necessarily things of God. And sometimes somebody in our lives will come along and say, hey, that's not of God. And then at that point, we have a choice. We have a choice to where we can say, no, I'm going to do what I want to do. Or I can say, okay, yes, I, I said I'm going to follow God, so I'm going to follow God. And I see it as dirt. And I repent of it. But then there's that other side where we can do what we want to do. We can be like the Pharisees. We can harden our hearts and be unwilling. So the second witness of works in verse 36, Jesus says, and let me read the whole verse here. I've got portion of it on the, on the thing here, but it says, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John for the works that the father has given me to accomplish. The very works that I'm doing bear witness about me that the father has sent me. We saw in the previous text, John five last Sunday, that Jesus only did the things that only God could do. Micah brought that point out, that the things that Jesus did were things that only God could have done. No man could have done. The people even said, we've never seen such things. And even uh, in John chapter 3, verse 2, let me go there so I can read the whole thing to you here. Uh, speaking of Nicodemus, who was a ruler of the Jews, which is very important. We're going to come back to that in just a second. But Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So here we have, we have it's established by the Pharisees themselves, and, and it says Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. Now, what does that mean? He was a ruler of the Jews. This means that, that this wasn't just some rando preacher. He was a bigwig. He was up there. And for him to say, we know, that, that is so important. He said, we know. So they had, that means, and, and that, can, that can be um, inferred. It doesn't say it in scripture, but it can be inferred that there was conversation about Jesus amongst these Jewish leaders. And, they, and here he said, we know you are come from God because no one can do these things that you do unless God is with them. So they knew. So here Jesus is reminding them, he says, the works that I'm doing bear witness of who I am. You yourselves said it. He's speaking to them directly here. He's saying, you, you guys have said, you guys said that you know that the things that I'm doing, only a person who comes from God could do. So they already knew that. And Jesus says, the testimony, again, uh, verse 36, testimony that I have is greater than John for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. Those very works that I'm doing, that you know that I'm doing, those bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And again, we got to put this in context and remember that the whole reason, again, that this conversation started was because they were upset about this invalid 38 years getting up and walking and taking his bed 
on the Sabbath also, on the Sabbath. And I love uh, what John MacArthur said uh, about this, about that portion of Scripture. He said, um, you know, pretty much Jesus' response about that was, um, I'll do what I want on the Sabbath because I'm the Lord of it. Thank you. Have a nice day. <laughs> and you can read that. It's actually in Scripture, Matthew 12, 1 through 8 there, um, where Jesus said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. So, um, and not because he was being snotty towards them, but because they were so stuck on the letter of the law that they couldn't see the heart of God. They couldn't see the, the work of God. They couldn't even experience it because they were so caught up and worried that somebody was going to make a break the uh, Talmud tradition, that they couldn't even enjoy the experience of God healing somebody. Think about that mindset for a second. Come on. But the works that Jesus did, they knew it was of God. And how do we know that? The Bible told us, as we just read in John 3, 2. And so the Pharisees knew that the works that Jesus did were from God. That meant they had a choice to believe or refuse to believe. Just like, um, and they said they, and what they did in Matthew, they went from, they went from knowing, so they had to cover their tracks here. Because it was already established in John chapter 3 that, that Nicodemus said, we know. So that was already established. So now Jesus is calling them out, but, but now they've got to start backtracking after this conversation. So in Matthew 12, Jesus heals a blind and mute man who was demon-possessed, and the people begin to say, wow, is this Messiah? And the Pharisees say, no, he's doing this by the prince of demons, Beelzebub. So now they went from knowing that the things he's doing are from God to know these things are from Satan, not God. Because they had to cover their tracks, pretty much. They had a choice at that point. They could have fallen at Jesus' feet and said, yes, you are the son of God. We know the things you're doing. We see, this is amazing. We've never seen anything like this, Lord. Blessed be your name. But no, they said this is from Satan. Instead, they hardened their hearts and refused to believe the truth when they knew it. They knew it, and they just absolutely blatantly refused to believe it. Have you ever talked to somebody and you try to tell them something true and they just absolutely blatantly refuse to believe the truth? Isn't that frustrating? I mean, if I was Jesus at that time, I probably would have said, God smite them forget it just just wipe them out just i mean because that's frustrating you're trying to tell somebody you present all the facts no 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 i don't care i don't care have you ever talked to somebody and they you know like you're trying to share truth the bible faith with them and yeah i, I know what the bible says but i don't care i'm going to do it this way anyways isn't that frustrating that's frustrating to me to hear people say that it's like you don't realize what you're missing out on and you don't realize what you're up against by saying that. <laughs> it's a lion. It's not good. <laughs> it's not good to be on that end. <laughs> but here, like I said, they knew, but they were absolutely unwilling to submit to truth. But still, this is a witness to Jesus' claim to being Messiah. And he's presenting it to them plainly before their eyes. And then the third witness here is the witness of the Father. 
verse 37. He says, and the father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one who, whom he has sent. <clears throat> so he says, the father himself has borne witness to me. In Jeremiah 4, 24, 7, he says, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. And then we read in Romans 10, 17, where it says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. They haven't heard. They hadn't heard. And Jesus says that. And we're going to dig a little bit down in here. We can go back to the book of Zechariah and see the plan that God the Father had for John the Baptist. We can see the works that Jesus did were given to him to be accomplished by the Father also, um, not of his own will, as Jesus said. Um, the Father has been working the whole time in all these things up until now. Because in John chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus says, My Father is working until now. I am working. So all of these things, the Father has laid out. Now Jesus is, is working. But in verse 37, Jesus speaks specifically, listen to this, about hearing the voice and seeing his form. That's important. That's important. There's so many things going in my head right now. I could so get ahead of myself, but hold on. I'm going to stick to my notes here. In the Old Testament, God spoke to the prophets, and they wrote it down and relayed to the people what God wanted to be said to them. In the Greek, this word heard can mean to understand. <clears throat> so to hear something can be to understand something, okay? Doesn't have to necessarily be an audible voice to hear, right? We can understand things and we can learn things without actually hearing them with our ears. We can read, we can uh, perceive with our eyes and understand and take things in, which can be a type of hearing we can have something impressed upon us, which is usually how God speaks to us, where we understand what God wants us to do, and it's, it's a spoken, understood thing within us. Um, it doesn't, again, have to be an audible thing. But in the Hebrew, it has a similar meaning. It does have understand in there. Um, and, and Brother Jordan, in case you really want to go deep on this, Brother Jordan is an expert at Greek and Hebrew, and he'd be glad to dig in on this with you. But in the Hebrew, the word heard, I found something very interesting in there that I had never seen before when I, when I did a word study here. That word heard in the Hebrew is sharma, but it can be understand, but then it can also be witness. And I never saw that before. I was like, wow. So to hear God is to witness. Witness God. And here Jesus is saying, you've never heard, you've never witnessed the Father. You don't have that witness of God the Father within you because you, you've never heard him. You've never witnessed him, right? Do you see this? Do you see where, where Jesus is going here? He said, you've never seen his form. In other words, now he, he wasn't, he was kind of in a way here. He was telling them that they've never borne witness to the Father. They didn't actually know him, although they talked about him. If I could put it in today's terms for our culture, this is more of a, uh, 
bring it down a notch there, Hoss. You're just a man on a high horse who thought they knew something like Job. And for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about with Job, read the last chapter of Job when he said these words in, in chapter 42. I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. When he repented to God. So Jesus is pretty much telling them that they're like this. They're at this stage here. Listen, you're just a man. You don't have the witness of God the Father, and you've never seen his form. So just be quiet for a minute here, okay? You're on a high horse. Thinking you know God because you have a few things memorized does not mean you know God, right? The Pharisees, let's put it into context here. The Pharisees, to become a Pharisee, you had to be able to quote the books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. Can anybody here quote the first five books of the Bible? I can't. <laughs> I mean, give me a few first couple of verses maybe in the beginning. That's about it. <laughs> but seriously, think about the level that these Pharisees were at. They had to memorize and be able to recite the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, so to speak. And here Jesus is putting them in their place. Listen, just because you know these things doesn't mean you've heard God. Does not mean you have had the witness of God in your life and you haven't even seen his form. You don't even know what he looks like. Because why? Because they were so caught up in the Talmud, the teachings, the traditions of men, that they, they couldn't see the heart of the Torah. Couldn't see the heart of God here. And this is so important for us because let us not get so caught up in what we think we know about the Bible, thinking that that means we know God and know his heart, because that's not true. Just because we know about something does not mean we know the source of that something. And that's a mistake a lot of people make today, including myself. I've made this mistake before. We can think that because we know about it, oh, yeah. But no. And Jesus said something else important here. He says in verse 38 that they didn't have the word abiding in them. What does that mean? What did the Pharisees have then? Because they, could, they had to memorize and recite the first five books, which we call the Pentateuch, the, five books of the, the first five books of, of Moses here. Well, if they had to memorize that, how did they not have the word abiding in them? Well, the difference is, is they didn't have the word of God abiding in them to promote people, to bring them to God. They only had a flawless understanding of what to tell people not to do. That's it. Flawless understanding of telling people what not to do. Not telling people, hey, God has mercy. He's compassionate. He'll forgive. No, no, no. It was, you got healed? I don't care. Who told you to carry your bed? That's unlawful on the Sabbath. You see their mindset? So blinded by things. Think about the implication of this for, for, for those of us in this room. We can have a flawless understanding of what to tell people without understanding the heart of God. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. My prayer is forgive us, God, for ever doing that, and may we not ever miss your heart, God. 
Let us not ever think that because we know a few verses of the Bible that we know God. It's a matter of having witnessed, hearing him speak to us directly, individually. Until that happens, we can't say we know God. Until you've heard him speak to you directly. Not just know about him, not just have a faith that maybe your parents told you or a friend told you, but an actual witness of him speaking to you directly in your life. At that point, we don't know God. Until that happens. That's got to happen. That's key. If we don't have that witness, we don't know God. The key here, in Jeremiah 24, 7, the Father says to those who are willing, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord. The key is willing. Willing. Experience. Believe. Witness. Hear. Willingness. Humility. Fourth witness is the witness of scriptures. And am I, am I running over time? Because I still got like an hour left. Am I? Just, just kidding. I'm almost done. <laughs> the witness of scriptures, the fourth thing here, the fourth witness. In verse 38, um, Jesus says, And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one who he has sent and he says in verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Remember I said they had to remember and memorize and recite the first five books. Well, in that, in Deuteronomy 18, 15, in that it says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, which was speaking about Moses, from your brothers, it is to him you shall listen. Jesus could have been referring to this specific passage here where he said, you look to the things of Moses and you trust in them, but that's what's referring to me. The missing key in the hearts and minds of the Jews here is that Jesus is speaking to um, and us today is having his word abiding in us and not just a knowledge or memorized portions for the sake of saying, aha, you did that wrong. That's not his word abiding in us. His word abiding in us brings life. It gives understanding. It bears witness to Christ Jesus, not only in our lives, in the, in the scriptures, and it's also a discerner of the thoughts and tents and intense, excuse me, of our hearts. It is the rule of measure. The word of God. Everything that we do, everything we think should be measured against the word of God. Does it align with scripture? Yes. Okay, good. No, then I need to throw it away. If we're willing. Jesus says in verse 39, this is something interesting here that I hadn't seen before. He said, you search the scriptures. Now, this wasn't a command. He wasn't saying, go search the scriptures. This was actually an accusation. He's telling them, you'll spend all day memorizing what to tell people not to do and point out what they did wrong and miss the fact that the very scriptures are bearing witness to me. And down in verse 45, I'm skipping ahead. I'm going to come back. But down in verse 45, Jesus tells them, He's not going to be the one who accuses them to the Father. 
but Moses will be their, their prosecutor, excuse me. The very one that they think is going to save them, that they've memorized the first five books, that they have them memorized, that they know it, they can tell you if you're breaking any one of those 613 mitzvahs or whatever, and then whatever is in the Talmud on top of it. But Jesus is saying that very thing that you're trusting in, just having those, that scripture memorized, that's what's going to be your prosecutor. Because you're so caught up in keeping people away and seeing how they're not doing things according to your tradition, you're not letting people come in and enter into the kingdom of God. That's what's going to persecute them. And this, this chapter ends with Jesus asking them, if you do not believe his writings, how are you going to believe his words? And verses, um, you know, 41 through 47 here, Jesus is calling them out, really but in a pleading with them kind of way. Jesus is saying, listen, I, I don't receive my glory from people. Do you? Which was kind of a rhetorical statement here because the Pharisees absolutely believed their, or they received, excuse me, their glory from people. They stood on the corners doing their fancy prayers. They had their, their fancy garb that they wore with all this elaborate stuff because why because they wanted the people oh here comes the great pharisee oh here he comes oh. they wanted the best seats they received their glory from people here jesus is this isn't a just a statement of jesus saying now god glorifies me he's saying that yes but he's saying it's also a question who do you get your glory from and jesus kind of asks us that today too because based on what we believe, do we believe something because we want somebody else to like us? Sometimes we can be unwilling to believe the truth because we want somebody else to like us or another group to like us. Who do we receive our glory from? Men or God? It can be a dangerous spot, especially with young people because peer pressure is hard, especially in our culture today. They've got all these cliques, and if you don't do this, you don't fit in. If you don't believe this, you don't fit in. There's all these horrible things that, that our culture is trying to indoctrinate young people with today that it makes them feel isolated if they don't believe these things. But those things go contrary to the word of God. Are we willing, young people, to stand up and say, I don't care what you believe, the word of God says this. That's... That's courage. It takes courage. When we say no, I'm going to follow what they say, although I know the Bible says this, then Jesus says in verse 42, I know that you do not have the love of God within you. Why? Because Jesus said, if you loved me, you keep my commands. If you love me you listen to what i'm saying if you truly loved me if you truly love the father like you say you do you would do what i say in verse 44 skipping down here a little bit he says how can you believe 
when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. Again, these Pharisees, they sought glory from each other, from man, not from God. That's the, that's the root of it right there. That's the root of a lot of our culture today. They want to fit in. They want to be cool. They want the popular likes. They want all this. And to do that, sometimes they have to compromise their beliefs to do that. And here, God's calling us to say, no, I'm not going to compromise my beliefs just to fit in or to be liked. That's a stand we've got to be willing to take. <clears throat> and again, uh, verse 45 and 46, Jesus, he calls him out and says that Moses is going to be the one who, who um, accuses you to the Father. He says, if you believed Moses, you would believe me. He wrote of me. But if you do not believe his things, how will you believe my words, he says. If you won't stand up, if you don't believe what he says, how are we, what the Bible says, how are we going to say we follow Jesus? We can't. My last point here, and in closing, it was not, their, un, their unbelief was not due to a lack of evidence. All the evidence was laid out plainly before the Pharisees here. Their lack of belief was due to a lack of willingness to receive that witness of truth. That's, that's the heart of it right there. Are we willing to receive the truth and change our minds to follow it and be willing to let go of what we think we know or what we like? Sometimes we may like what's not right in God's eyes. Especially our flesh will like things that are not right in God's eyes. But sometimes we've got to be willing to let those things go if we say that we love God and we're going to follow him. That's part of being a disciple. There's sacrifice in following God, and that's part of it. And the Pharisees were not willing to sacrifice all their traditions that they had. Because why? Because they had power in them. They didn't want to give that up. So it wasn't because of a lack of evidence. It was a lack of willingness to move forward. I like to sit on my back porch. And on my back porch, it is extremely, extremely hot, especially now, July and August. And I have a fan out there. And I have a fan, and it's, it blows. And if I sit a certain way, I can sweat. Like, I can just begin sweating as soon as I sit down. Just instant bleh, sweat, heat. But my fan is on out there, and I can see the wind blowing the things on the table in front of me. I can see the cool tea sitting in the, in the glass in front of me on that table, but I'm sweating and miserable sitting there in my rocking chair because I don't feel that breeze of the fan. Now, you're just like, what in the world does this have to do? Okay, if I'm willing to move forward a little bit, I can then enjoy the breeze of that fan and be cooled off. But if I refuse and just sit there, I'm going to be miserable. But that breeze is so refreshing if I will just move forward a little bit. Just got to be willing to not be lazy and just sit there in my misery but just maybe move it up just a little bit. That's all I have to do. Just move forward a little bit to enjoy the nice, cool breeze of that fan. 
And it's refreshing. It's refreshing. Now, you know, there's a nice, cool breeze of the Holy Spirit that wants to refresh us and speak to us and speak to our hearts. It's right there in front of us. It was right there in front of the Pharisees. It was right there in front of all these Jews that Jesus was speaking to. But you know what? They refused to move forward a little bit. Just that little bit they refused. They were just sitting there in their misery. Didn't even realize how miserable they were, but just sitting there, refused to move. So I want to close with that. If, if maybe you're here today and maybe you can see the evidence, but maybe you just haven't moved just that little bit forward, then I want to encourage you to come today to the altar and receive that refreshing breeze of the Holy Spirit. Just come and let go. Let go of all the stuff that's holding you back. It's so much better. It's so much better. You see so much. You hear, you see and hear and experience God in ways that it's amazing. will blow your mind. It's so good. God is so good. He is so good, even when our circumstances are bad. Amen? Amen. All right, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you so much again for your word, Lord. Lord, we see the evidence right in front of us. Jesus, we believe that you are Lord, that you are God, that you are Savior. Holy Spirit, we know that you're here. We know your presence is here. Lord, today I just pray for those, Lord, who are in this audience and maybe online listening, Lord God, who just need to move forward a little bit, Lord, to experience your refreshing breeze. Lord, to experience your lordship, to hear your voice for the first time, Lord. Maybe they've had a faith, Lord, that's been handed down by things said to them, Lord God, and they've never experienced your voice, Lord. I just pray today would be the day that they would hear you speak to them, Lord. Lord, speak to their hearts. Lord. Speak to our hearts. Lord, let anyone, Lord God, who needs to come forward, Lord, not be ashamed. Lord, you welcome them with open arms. Lord, we praise you and we love you. Pray in Jesus' name.